Good bloody times. All right, are you are you ready, Thomas? I'm so ready. You're feeling it. <coughs> I was whole, born ready. Whole lives, <laughs> our whole lives have <laughs> up to this moment. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Future Friends Games podcast, a podcast for people interested in how indie video games are promoted. We are Thomas and Paul from the indie video game promoting company Future Friends Games. Hello, Thomas. Hello. We are this time, we're very lucky to be joined by Hannah Flynn, who is comms director at Fail Better, who does uh, amazing work there with Sunless Skies, Sunless Sea, all that fun stuff. And also, has more recently started helping out indie devs reviewing the Steam Store page, which is what we're going to be diving into today. Hello, Hannah. Hello, gentlemen, and thank you for getting my title right first time. You can tell that you are communications people. Because I've been I've been called everything under the sun, but I am in fact a director of communications, which means I do everything, and you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> that is all, yeah, I think that's the I think that's the modern communication professional kind of default now, isn't it? Like especially in indies. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's super hard to find someone who can do it all. And I came here, I came into games from a background in like publishing and galleries and and museums and uh, charities and all sorts. But when I arrived in games, I didn't really even know how Twitch worked. I didn't know how any of these things worked. But now it's like, yes, I can stream. I can write your press release. I can organize your event. Like you have to be that guy. Yeah, I think I think it's so great as well to to see someone like you is just willing to kind of get stuck into it and like learn how these things work because I guess it's like there's a lot to it but it's not rocket science and I, I think one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast is just like help people kind of believe that you know with with a little bit of with a little bit of time and effort you too can promote an indie game you you totally can and it's about like take the, the only thing you really have to do is take it seriously like the, the amount of people you see, maybe less so these days, but still going, oh, well, I didn't really know what to do for promotion. I didn't really know when to start. I didn't so about two weeks before launch, I just sent some keys out and then that was kind of it. Well, yeah, but on the other side of that coin, this is my whole job and it's all I do every single day. So there's got to be plenty you could do, you know, and the resources like this are fantastic for um for inexperienced promotional <laughs> promotion <Yeah>. noobs <laughs> god bless them yeah i think it's definitely like with everyone that we've been lucky enough to talk to so far it's definitely a theme that i think a lot of more the people who work on the more technical side like definitely underestimate just how much just how much time goes into things like if you want to do it properly and also how early in the process you need to start if you really want to like maximize your chances of doing well especially on a platform like steam yeah which is obviously so kind of front-loaded in that way Um, steam is so wonderfully uh, flexible though like it it is the one like there's, there's a reason that we thus far have been like a steam first studio um or, or a PC first studio with a focus on Steam, um, because it has the best self service tools. They give you a lot. They give you loads of data. They give you like the shirts off their backs, basically, to help you. So um, it is all there. You just have to learn how to how to kind of play it, <laughs> how <Yeah>. to finagle <laughs> it. That's that is true. It's like kind of kind of. It seems so like enigmatic from the outside and it can be like a little bit, it can feel like it's a bit of a black box in that way. But I think the more you kind of 
the more you get into it, the more you realize that there are levers that you can pull as a developer. Again, obviously, like if you start early enough and you start like building it up over time. Yeah. But talking about, you know, learning about uh, learning about Steam and everything, one thing we, we really wanted to talk to to you about is talking about creating creating a Steam page and going through that process as like imagine you're just a solo dev first time developer and you're for the first time like approaching the steam back end and like putting putting that page together like what do you think are the most like where do you start with that what are the most important things to focus your time and energy on it is so daunting and yeah it is um or because there is a ton going on in the back end of steam it has been developed over, you know, 15, however many years um, by very various different teams of people who've picked it up, played with it and put it down over the years at, at Valve. So bits of it really obviously connect and make sense. Bits of it are spread out and make no sense. So um, it, it it's definitely something that you want to get both hands on and just mess with it as much as possible and read and click and look around and just make a like a mind map of where everything is. I almost fell off my chair with stress this week because I was trying to find something that I've used a hundred times and I couldn't find it. So <laughs> it ha- it comes to even the even the most kind of steam savvy of us get lost in there sometimes. But um I think the hardest thing that you're first faced with when you set up your page is the big empty box where the main description goes. Uh it just says write write about your game here. Just put some words in here. Um, and having been a developer on Steam, we've, we've, we launched to Steam, I think, in 2014. Uh, we are now completely, when we look at that box, we think, oh, okay, this is where my GIFs are going. This is where I'm going to put gameplay GIFs. It, it absolutely does not tell you to do that. In no way recommends that you add that. But when I give people this advice that I, I give um, Steam store page advice on Twitter, um, it's the one thing that people adding to their pages that makes the most difference is putting gameplay mm. gifts in your long description. Somebody told me their their conversions to wish lists went up by like 40% when they'd done that. Um, wow. but that is like a single data point, but it, it is so... Uh, it brings the page to life, but Steam doesn't tell you to do that. So that's like thing one is look at your long description, break it down into points where you have each of the player sort of verbs, you know, uh, craft, explore, fight, whatever, um, and get a gameplay gif in there that meets that kind of, that shows, that illustrates that point. So the player verbs are really, really, really powerful and strong on the page. Um, And then the other kind of priority is making the whole page agree with itself like the first thing that people will get put off by is if one part of your page says it's full controller support but the early access information on your page says you're still working on controller support uh if it's not obvious and and factually correct um it's something that's so easy to miss because it's like a checkbox somewhere else on steam just make sure that your page agrees with itself you're, you're really trying to build trust with people like you want to give people every reason to trust you because you're you're an independent game creator they don't know who you are they don't know what else you've made or what else you've done they have no reason to believe in your thing but you believe in your thing so you have to make sure that your page is 100 percent honest clear um 
and then all the fun part is adding all the personality of the game to the page. Uh, but you have to do the like be be complete and clear before you get cute and add jokes or, or whatever. <laughs> I think that is good advice. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you, you, people are always tempted, especially looking at games like ours, which have that Victorian British uh, language in them. Sun the sea and fallen, uh, fallen under the summer skies are very written in that style. So, um, you know, whenever we are hiring for a marketing person, people really want to go for it and write this really complex cod Victorian English. And if, mm. if I can't understand what it is that you're saying, but um, you're, you're bombarding me with like Victorian British English jokes and, and whatnot, you've, you've missed the mark. Uh, yeah, and I guess I always have a feeling also that something maybe you could underestimate as a developer that especially on your Steam page, you're going to get a lot of traffic from people that only go on Steam and they've never been on Twitter, they've never seen your game, they don't know what it is at all. So they literally get your store page. So I guess it needs to be quite easy to understand what you have on there as information. It has to be. Um, I'm coming at this from all different angles and not really going through things in the order that I would usually go through them in. Sorry. But <laughs> you have yeah, to... Yeah, that's fine. We're, we're just having a chat. You go for it. <laughs> you have to really, really nail genre. And I don't just mean tagging it with the genre that you think it is. And this goes double or triple for games where you're like, oh, it's it's a bit sort of like this. It's not really like anything. It's a bit new. You have to say what genre it is. It's people shop in Steam in the same way that they shop in a bookshop. If, if, you, if you are a reader of crime books, you go to crime and you're looking for a crime book. People want to look at your page and know before they try the game that it's in a genre or a play style that they already enjoy. Mm. They, they just, if it's like, oh, oh yeah, I've got some puzzles in it, but it's really mostly X. If it's really mostly X, put down X and get that, get that in the short description, tag it that way, and then make everything on that page agree, like make it all consonant with that idea. So you've got a crime thriller game, say it's a point and click adventure, it's noir. You want it, the artwork to be black and white and maybe a bit of red. You want it to look filmic. You want it to say it's a point-and-click adventure noir detective game. Like, be specific, yeah. be precise. And I guess, like, one one point about being specific is also you don't want to just address people that might like the game. You also want to address people that maybe wouldn't like it and, like, turn them away and make them not buy it. Yeah. At least that's our understanding. Because they would leave a bad review, which Steam is really not a big fan of. Yeah, Steam doesn't... Uh... Yeah, the review system. Basically, human beings are shits no matter where you put them. And Steam is not going to be the place that fixes the problem with people leaving bad reviews or review bombing, like purposefully leaving tons of bad reviews as a kind of attack. That kind of thing happens. But that happens everywhere. If Amazon haven't fixed that, then Steam has no hope of fixing that. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> they could try. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's been really nice that they've recently incentivized giving reviews um, as part of their sale events. That's been really cool. Um, but yeah, you're quite right that you you want the right person to buy the game and you want everyone else to say thanks, but no thanks. Because <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess your main goal is not just selling as much as you can to an individual. Your goal is selling to the right people that will like your game. Like, yeah. for example, we did work on a game called Fugle, where you play a bird that just flies around. And it's very peaceful, but it doesn't have a story mode or anything. It's just relaxing. Yeah. And the biggest fear for that game clearly was, like, people might go in and just, 
then be like, this is really boring. There's nothing I can do. So like everything just says it's a meditative game, no goals, no mission, just relax to be really clear that if someone buys that, they know there's no story mode. This is it. Just chill. It's not a big achievements thing. It's not a hardcore game thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think just that like, like just being quite, quite honest, maybe with obviously the best possible light, but with what your game is, even if it does sound counterintuitive. I think another example we had was a game called Frog Detective, which is really nice. Yeah. Extremely funny, but so short. So it, it does have a big GIF. It's like an hour long. It does have a big GIF on the store page. It says this is like an hour long, this game. Yeah. So if people want a longer game, they don't go in and are really sad. Yeah, absolutely. It's People need to... It's it's so hard if it's just you and you are the person making it and you you don't and you are also the person who has to talk about it. That is really mm. hard and most people can't do both of those things. Like people should not feel bad for not being able to do both of those things. It's it's like emotionally punishing to have to be the person who talks about your <laughs> game. Um, but uh, uh, someone with a marketing hat would say to you, like, it's okay just to say this is an hour long. You just want people to know, like, you don't have to apologize for the fact that you've made an experience that is X length. You just have to tell them and then they can make an informed decision. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you were saying, Hannah, about building that trust. Yeah. You know, I think because that's that's something that I that I say to everyone that we work with. Like that's that's really the goal throughout the whole campaign is with, in a very kind of traditional marketing way. What you're trying to do is have those points of contact with people where over time they kind of build up and they and they make that decision ultimately to say, like, yes, I'm going to buy that game on day one. But to do mm-hmm. that, you have to you have to make it really clear what it is and you have to really build up that trust over time but then on on the flip side of that on steam when people are just confronted with your steam store page and they're making that snap like impulse decision i think it was really interesting what you said about like um players almost need to know that it's all that it is something that they have enjoyed in the past or that they know it's something they enjoyed The, the way i usually say it is like what people really want with those impulse decisions is something that they is something that they know that they enjoy presented to them in a way that is surprising. Yeah. In an irresistible so, package. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's why like when, when you say like the kind of, cause I know a lot of indie developers, like they like to genre blend a little bit because they think that making something that feels different is going to like, is going to drive people to get it because they think that people want these like new experiences and everything. Whereas really like, it's almost better to like reassure people and say like, no, this is something, you know, (laughs) this is is something you have enjoyed before, but look at these cool, like extra bits that maybe you haven't like, maybe haven't been in stuff before, like as a, as a kind of enticing thing. Do you think that's that's right? I think that's absolutely fair. Um, It's, it's almost like people like to present their games and say, oh, it's a mixture of X game and Y game. And it is absolutely a valid way to describe your game. But if you put something like that on a Steam page, what you kind of, you almost have to give people a little bit of rope and let them get there on their own. Like if you have a game, which is, you know, uh, as as visually gorgeous as Gris, Greece, um, but is is much more puzzly, say, what you want to do is present them with this gorgeous puzzly thing 
um, you want to give them enough information on the page that they who have played Gree go, oh, yes, that reminds me of this other game that I really liked. But I can see this one is a bit more puzzly. Clever me. I think I'm going to give this one a go. <laughs> like, you, be specific, be precise, but like, you don't have to say, it is Gree meets Portal, you know? Yeah. And I think I think that's great. I think like as well as the trust thing, I, I think that really touches on um the idea of like you want you want someone to look at your game and, and feel smart for buying it. Yeah. Like as as like pretty much as you said, but I just I just wanted to to reiterate like that's such a huge part of like how people decide to buy things. It's like they want to feel like a savvy consumer and they want to feel like they're making a smart decision and that ties back into things like trust and it ties back into you know having this long marketing campaign everything being consistent you know everything we've yeah. talked about especially the steam user the because we at fell better we have two titles that are on um you know primarily pc based and one that is a browser game and the browser game has been going for 10 years. And before the first of our PC games came out, sort of five years into the lifespan of this browser game, having a completely democratic platform for access where you can just open it and put fallenlondon.com in the browser uh, meant that our gender split of players was like 50-50 and loads of players were much older. Loads of players were very young. Like it was a huge a huge spread of people because anybody can open a browser. But when we put Fallen, when we put um, Sunless Sea out on Steam, um, the Steam audience that we have is like 96% male or whatever. It's extremely high. Wow. Uh, then that in in had a knock-on effect because you had to sign up to Fallen London to get um, story updates in Sunless Sea, which completely knocked our previous gender balance for Fallen London into a, into a complete disarray it became more like 70 percent kind of male um I, f I forgot why i've started talking about that but i think it's interesting the steam user is like a, a very 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 specific segment of the gaming audience and they really like to think of themselves as very smart very informed um they are very loyal to steam they like it there and steam the platform wants to keep them there like they've they've recently um, changed the way that they're not so recently now, maybe end of last year, actually time has gone strange. Um, have they've changed the way that their news posts turn up in your personal feed. So you can get news posts from games that are, um, that your friends play or that are similar to games that you already own. So steam wants to like drip feed people this information steam wants to keep them within steam commenting joining the message boards making content um all the sale events now have got game layers to them where you join a team and you have to you know play a sale game or buy a sale game to get points for your team like it's it's a very much its own ecosystem um and if you're not a heavy steam user yourself going into putting a game on steam it really is worth like logging in there every like for every day for a week and just seeing what you get and seeing how it behaves because it's you would never guess like you come to it thinking it's a storefront it's really not it's like a social network as well and that's that's really interesting it's something that something that in our work like we talk about 
like while while we were we talk about kind of the steam user and like what the tastes of the steam user and everything but we don't yeah. we don't usually think about it in terms of such specific demographics like that we did um we talked to Simon Carlos actually about like the, the sort of nature of steam like in itself like as as a game platform and everything and it it did make me think like this is going really off, off topic for this podcast now. <laughs> so we'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> like that. I was, I'm just thinking like in broad terms, like how do, how do you think that kind of that steam user? Cause it sounds like steam are, are intentionally targeting a certain type of person, but also steam has a kind of de facto monopoly on, you know, distribution for indie games on PC. Like if you want to have a chance of, selling a lot of copies so like how do you think that feeds back into game development and do you think it's something that indie devs should actually be consciously thinking about in the early like prototyping stage or like developing for the steam player exactly yeah i think that's really i mean the line between who the steam player is and who the pc gamer is is maybe finer than we think Mm. um because in order to like I, I can't, I don't have a gaming PC myself. So I am, you know, a pick up and put down sofa co-op console player. I'm, I'm, you know, mobile player. I'm about as far personality wise and play style wise as it's possible to get from a steam user. Um, mm. but you look at, you look at kind of their, the stuff that you, you don't really think about necessarily until you launch. And then you don't know about it until you launch like this time, last time we launched a game sunless skies we were really overwhelmed with requests from super wide monitor users so uh, yeah yeah <laughs> the steam user is like and and i i learn about them a lot professionally right but i can't embody that mindset unless unless i hear from them there's always going to be something that i don't know so the you have to think about that person in terms of they have a desk or they have a big gaming laptop. They sit upright in a chair to play. They have a monitor of this type. They have, they're interested in specs way more, you know, obviously console players, console players care about frames per second and stuff, right? But they don't care about like the, the in-depth stuff. They care about their graphics card. They bought all these things. They put that together themselves maybe, or they had to like they had to spec up a machine and get something that would play the stuff they really want to play. Like their, their investment level is extremely high and it's a lifestyle thing, not just a a shopping habits thing. I mean, this is all kind of on the fly. It is really interesting. It's like who they are. Um, and they, yeah, just, think- <laughs> they just never cease to, they just never cease to surprise me. And if you, the, the main thing that we learned was to support uh, Linux <laughs> because the Lin- <laughs> Linux people, okay. there are about 15 of them, but by God, they're loud. Yeah, they, they <laughs> care. They really care they a lot. We, we, know, we know about the Linux people as well. <laughs> but, um, I, think, I think it is like, as, sorry, yeah, sorry to put, you, to put you on the spot. It's not something we were really planning on, on talking about, but I do think it's really interesting because we talk about like, we talk about genres that do well on Steam a lot. And mm. we talk about that kind of player, but I, I think it's like, you know, if you're if you're starting to develop a game with that mindset of like you want to do well on Steam, you want to sell a lot of copies on Steam. Like these are, you know, these are probably 
considerations that you have to make and it's it's tricky isn't it because if you're trying to look a few years in the future like what is that person who today they care about super wide monitors but who knows what it what like technological leaps might happen in the in the next few years that then they'll be thinking about as well so i think you're absolutely you're absolutely right that kind of trying to follow along with with their needs is like a worthwhile thing to do yeah it's just it's a good thing to understand but it's also that whatever it is that you're doing within steam now looking at what we the situation that we're in the amount of games being released you know 200 plus every week Mm. whatever it is you're going to make try and make it niche and try and make it very special i think that's what i would say um find something that you can definitely execute and present within this genre this niche that you know you can do well and do it in a special way like the thing that we make is rpgs with extremely deep rich wonderful surprising oblique stories Um, and then we know that we can write award-winning amazing stories so we have a niche it's people who will sit at their pc and read (laughs) eight hundred thousand words in subtlest skies so we know that we could fulfill that and then we know how to present that. And it's, it's in terms of what we're talking about today, the presentation angle of that is as important as executing the first two things. Like if you can't tell them what you've done clearly, succinctly and in a captivating way, then you can't, it doesn't matter how good it was. And I mean, especially for, for your type of games, because they're so, I would say word heavy and maybe visuals are not, are not like the, the center point of the games. I guess it's sorry. Yeah, it's quite. I guess it's quite difficult. Like we often get that for adventure games or like games that are not made to just work on Twitter gifs. Yeah. But you often have to describe a bit more. Like um, how do you like? For example, we often say the two important things we feel on a Steam page is one the gifs we mentioned that just because it auto plays. Yeah, and the second one we feel is quite important is the capsule image, like the little image in the right corner where you just that's the first thing you see and you see in the storefront. Yes. Um, like how how do you nail it down for your games? Like how do you find out what you should put there? Well, what we did particularly was um, we used a survey for Sunless Skies. Uh, it hel- it's helpful because we have an existing community, but we surveyed our community and people who didn't know our stuff <clears throat> because we couldn't decide on the angle to take for our capsule image. We had something up there. It was a train exploding in space. It was extremely busy and dynamic and very kind of energetic. It was very cool. Uh, and it worked really well at events on a big like billboard, but it didn't. we didn't feel it was doing the job for Steam. So what we did was mock up three additional background images. One was a train in space, uh, just a train traveling. One was a like a, a body, like an upside down human figure in a kind of gas mask. Um, that sort of was floating in space, like question, was he dead? Was he not dead? Was he whatever? Like a sort of, well, what the survey said was people thought we were making a game like Dead Space. <laughs> and we, okay, yeah. we thought, oh shit, no, we can't, we, we can't pull that off. Um, that's a AAA third person. Like, no, we can't do that. Um, and the third one was a Victorian wrought iron lamppost in space. Um, we presented those in survey format and we asked people who both did and did not know about our stuff uh, what do you think you would be doing in this game? Uh, mm-hmm. What do these images make you? What three words that you would use to describe these images? 
Um, what other games does this make you think of? Stuff like that. Not just, do you like this? Because that's hopeless. You can't do anything with the answer to that. Yes, I like it. Why? I don't know. <laughs> um, and we learned so much because the the lamppost image, which we'd used for our Kickstarter, meant a lot to our community. It said all the things that we that we have. It's Victorian and it's in Congress a bit oblique, strange. What's a lamppost doing in space? But the vast majority of people answered the question, what would you be doing this in this game with? I don't know. Which for a capsule image is useless. Like you have to be able yeah. to... You have to be able to in some way convey the meat of what you're doing in that image. And we ended up with the train in space. Um, a few people said it reminded them of the Polar Express. But <laughs> beyond that, people were like, well, I think I'm going to be flying a train in space. It looks steampunky. It looks, you know, it looks like something I understand. I already understand what this is. And from what I can see, there's the, you know, we put then um, a serif font logo over the top. So it looks a bit Victorian. It looks very literary and the train with the font and everything uh, added everything together to give a really good first impression of the game. I'm now embarrassed to admit that I was one of the people nostalgic for the lamppost. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be. It doesn't. You're not Mr. Steam. You know, Mr. Steam doesn't understand, but you get it. <laughs> yeah, we're cool. We're cool. We get yeah. it. Oh, you know what? And we put that this is this is a marker of what good comms work is. We use that for our Kickstarter, the lamppost, because knowing our community and 11,000 people back to our Kickstarter. So they saw the lamppost with the purple star field and the kind of white font. And it's all very mysterious and cloudy. And they went, Oh yes, yes. More of that. Fallen London goes to space. Yes, please. And gave us, you know, and backed us. Um, it's just not the same as I'm scrolling through a tag on steam and I don't really, I don't really know what any of these are or like popular new and upcoming releases or whatever. And like, Oh, it's um it's a it's a victorian sort of steam engine flying through space you know that is it says a lot as well as being intriguing um a lot i think a lot of the time people think that marketing is like ho 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 let me intrigue you with this stuff and then you'll come and find out more no people people have no time to be intrigued these days you have yeah. to say what it is straight away they have no like oh i've this is a mysterious tweet i have no context for this tweet i don't understand it scroll like you have to be very clear. Yes, that's that's a constant oh. battle for us on all platforms. <laughs> yeah, and that's so sweet oh, because people media. are like people are really thinking about it and trying to engage with marketing. But there are some things that are just not just not how it works. One of them is like, oh, super intriguing. Like, get, make them guess, make, give them a mystery. Uh, and one of them is like, oh, let's do a competition where they can win um, a figurine of this character. They've not played the game yet, so they wouldn't care. So the competition isn't going to go anywhere because they don't know that character. Um, or like, oh, yeah, let's print out loads of really complicated uh, merchandise and, and ephemera and send it to all the different journalists and spend loads of money on it. Like, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> please save your money for like a Reddit ad, please. <laughs> See, this is yeah, why we have people on the podcast, so we don't have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope all your clients are listening and taking notes. <laughs> don't, don't worry, they're all they're all fully aware of our feelings on this. But yeah, it is. I, I think it's uh, it's just a fantastic point of always. I mean, the way I the way I usually talk about that is to say that like you always need to assume 
that anyone looking at what you're putting out has never seen anything about your game before ever. And I think from from the way that you're talking about, it feels like that's probably, you know, doubly true for Steam, if anything. Yeah, you just need to be so aware of that all the time. And I think also like what Hannah said before, just like using Steam for a while, I think is really helpful for that because then you see where the little, how the little list looks like, what the capsule image is going to look in them, what the recommendation window looks like, and then just trying to imagine if somebody would actually be able to read your image if it's really small. Like, mm. is that something you can convey or is that does it get lost? I think just like trying to figure out where the different assets you put into Steam get placed as well is really helpful. Yeah, the um, the main one that people don't realise is thumbnails get turned into a GIF and those thumbnails turn up uh, when you mouse over the game information on other pages elsewhere on Steam, the short description and a short GIF of the first few thumbnails will turn up. So yeah. if if your first three thumbnails are like just gorgeous, concept-y, no HUD, no, no obvious verb present, then it's not doing as good a job as, you know, if you've got a crafting-driven um, exploration game, if if thing one is I found ingredients, thing two is I'm doing my crafting dance over my little cauldron like Link in, in Breath of the Wild, and thing three is here is the thing I crafted and it's exciting, that Steam will take that and use that as a little miniature advert for your game. Like you would never realise that looking at the back end where it's just like put thumbnails in, <laughs> yeah <laughs> thumbnails go here yeah no further no further explanation no guidance that's, required <laughs> that's such a good point as well about like using that to cut to almost go like a level deeper like thinking about what you were saying about the capsule image really selling kind of the promise of like what you do in the game yeah. and then and then you can use those next few images Almost, almost like your capsule image is like the headline of what you want to say, and then the next few images are like are like little bullet points of like here's a few features of the game that you might be interested in. Totally, if, if you like that thing, and use like you can think about the 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 advantage that indie developers have over AAA and and more faceless things is the personal connection and the personal touch, and you can go you know you can go from headline to two bullet points of really exciting stuff, your best stuff. And by the way, people need to include your you include your best stuff. Don't hide your best stuff until they've got the game. Why would they buy it? This is the other one that really does my head in and I'm always trying to tell people like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what do you mean there's a whole separate mode with a different, I don't know, there's a whole separate way of input. You have to turn the controller upside down halfway through like fucking tell people that. That's awesome. Um, no, I want them to discover it. You can't see me, but I'm I'm jumping up and down with both my arms in the air <laughs> in, in acknowledgement of this. Yeah, and people worry about spoiling stuff. Like fair, but if unless you're specifically saying the big bad in this game does X, Y, and Z, and that's like you you don't have to say that, but you should show who they are. You know, you can you can mm. approach it in a way that's. Anyway, I lost where I was going with that. Oh yeah, I was talking about Steam personality. The thing that we have is personality. Um, I was looking over a page for some developers who have brought out this um, bullet hell adventure game called Eater. It's coming out, I think, in the next few days. And um, the developer is this chap who lives in Italy and he's gone around these amazing um, stone gardens with massive stone faces and stuff carved right into the walls that are extremely atmospheric and brilliant. He used that as the inspiration for 
the um, environments in the game and all the personality in the page is him talking personally using like English as a second language kind of language, just his natural language, which is so personable and wonderful and sending all the pictures out of he discovered these, these gardens that he found really inspirational and they're just like a whole image gallery of them. And it's just so good. And you really feel like this guy's putting in all the work he's got. He's made this fantastic and the trailer is fantastic and all the thumbnails are fantastic. Like their pages is extremely good. Um, but I just think that we have a, like people shouldn't feel too despairing that they have to do all of this themselves because it is a great advantage if you're able to make it work to show your personality and to show like your values and what you want people to get from your game and how proud you are. Like who could follow um, David Galindo on Twitter who made Cook Serve Delicious and not completely love him and be so excited for him and follow every step of his development with with nothing but love for his food adventures and then turning it into an amazing food like post-apocalyptic food truck simulator game like come on <laughs> so good I, that's that's such a great point because i think like especially as an indie developer or any game developer you just you have to have like so much passion and drive to even be able to put anything out i think that's that's such a good point to say like rerouting that kind of back into like how you talk about the game and like showing your own enthusiasm and excitement for it is is such a good such a good point nobody cares I, about it more than you nobody yeah, cares about that yeah. like use that yeah but I, think absolutely. I don't know like maybe it's just my perception but i feel like especially social media marketing or kickstarters they're getting more personal and people rely more on trying to get the personal brand out being quite honest but I think still often Steam pages are quite dry or quite yeah. corporate. I wonder if that is maybe that's something that's about to happen or if there's a reason for that. I think people look at the sort of big blue beer moth of Steam and think that that's what they have to do. It's mm. one of those kind of internalized truths about it. Um, but I had a look at the Steam page for um, an airport for aliens currently run by dogs by um, Zalavia Nelson Jr. And I was like, this is a great page and everything, but... Um, your game is completely bonkers and the page is quite kind of sober. Uh, why not just go complete, just go for it. Like go for it. Just make sense. it like, as bizarre. Like, if, I, if, if I click on that game title, I want something weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Mate, there's room for everything. And if, if your game is legitimately extremely weird and strange and funny and unexpected, don't feel that you have to fit a kind of corporate page format or there's anything you have to have to do. If your game is that weird, show the weird, like get your freak flag out and be extremely weird. The only, only tiny thing I wouldn't do, and I always end up recommending people don't, even when they, like, people like to put funny things in the date coming soon. Um, mm. Like if your game isn't out yet, they like to use uh, so like an in-game year when it's of the ready. future or like when it's done. But like, if your thing is that you're, you're putting up your game and you want to be seen as like a belligerent person when it's done, it's fine. But like, um, you know, when the half moon crosses the crescent or something, because you've got like a mysterious farming game, like, ah, that's where people are looking <laughs> for. <laughs> you're kind of cheating yourself in two ways. That is where people are looking for, trustworthy information about when the game's coming out so if you don't have any recent updates in your update queue and you've got a made-up word instead of a real release date like you're eroding trust there and secondly if you have a real release date then when it comes round 
Steam algorithmically kind of starts recommending you and showing you to people. So if it's made up or if it's kind of flavorful, uh, you'll get you'll miss out on traffic that way. But everything else, go nuts, I think. And I guess like on the date, I guess also Steam pages just have really good SEO. So if you Google most game names, the Steam page is the first thing that comes up. Yeah. So if someone is legit looking for your date, that's probably the place where it would look. Too true. I do. I do want to talk now. Now that I've finished jumping up and down with my arms waving in the air, I did want to. I did want to talk <laughs> a little bit more about about this idea of like not holding too much back. Yeah. It's something because obviously, like a lot of the games we work on, like we don't really need to worry about that. Like they're very visual; they're kind of sold on like the action elements of them. But we also work on a lot of games that are, you know, a lot more narrative driven, like a lot quieter, slower pace things that don't necessarily translate as well just into into like gifs and things that visual style. Yeah. I think for like. I love I love Sunless Sea and Sunless Skies, and I, I think I think they're great. And I, I think like in those games, it feels like there's so much all the time that like you can show a lot of that stuff without really giving away too much of the whole experience. But what do you think about like a more contained story, like a more linear kind of story? Like when when is it's the question we always get when we work on games like that is like, oh, we like can we show this like it's a spoiler or something for or not necessarily a spoiler just like an environment that happens in the second half of the game or a character that's introduced later like what what do you think about showing all of that kind of stuff i think the thing to bear in mind is that people are stupid and forgetful and <laughs> you show so we had um in the sun sea trailer there is this eyeball that opens up and there's a big like musical sting over it. It's a massive eye that you can sail over it in your ship. And seeing the eyeball in the trailer does not mean that when they got to the eyeball in the game, they didn't shit themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> like it's the, the experience of seeing promotional material, reading it, like unless you are, unless miraculously this person who's not yet to play your game is going to pour over every single thing you say, memorize it, really take it apart. Um, and if you have someone who's that committed, brilliant, because they're already definitely going to buy it. Great. Yeah. And um, they'll probably get two of their friends to buy it as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, then just sort of allow for the fact that you, you, the curse of knowledge is that you know your game best. You probably know the best bits. You will discover that people will find bits that they think are the best bits and you will learn from them playing it and then perhaps hopefully feed those back into your promotion and update your page and keep it fresh when you find out what people think the actual best bits to play are um but you can kind of assume that people will forget and and give yourself license to just talk talk yeah, about I think it it's, I, I think it's quite interesting compared to if you watch film or show trailers for shows like on netflix or just from a cinema film they basically show the whole plot and people still gonna see them whereas i feel for games there's often the fear of showing too much will turn people away yeah which is super yeah. i mean there is there is something to be aware of in the the parallel with film where it, there's that thing of, oh, they put all the best bits in the trailer and then <laughs> people feel disappointed. But a film is, you know, is a transient experience that's only so long. And I don't think it is possible to put all the best emergent experiences of a, of a more narrative driven thing in a trailer and, and have people come away disappointed. I don't know, because our stuff is so 
broad that you every single player through will be different every captain's life in sun the sky is different um so it's difficult to say i remember that uh there was quite a lot of discourse around that dragon cancer because it's a linear story that was let's played all the way through a lot and people mm. that i think the developer or whoever really felt like people were just watching it and they weren't buying it um that is almost a nice a nice problem to have because if someone's bothered to let's play your entire six hour game, that means they really, really liked it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I always say like anecdotally from, from my perspective, there's a couple of very narrative heavy games that are like my favorite games ever that I bought because I saw let's plays of them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, you know, there were things I was kind of interested in anyway, but then like someone I recognize on YouTube had done a thing on it. So I watched a bit of it and I was like, oh, this is great. They're having a lot of fun. I want to play this as well. And even, you know, even going through the stuff that I'd seen on like on those videos, like, I still had a good time with it. It didn't like ruin the whole thing. Yeah. And we have a whole part of personality type that plays our games that really wants to know as much as humanly possible up front so they can avoid making choices that they don't want the outcome of. Um, mm. Because we don't do branching stories. We do uh, quality-based stories. It's much harder sometimes to predict what uh, your actions will then cause to happen later. Sometimes things happen that are a total surprise because of stuff you've done um, rather than, you know, this is the story choice like tree to get the outcome you want. You have to go, well, you need to collect a few of these, meet this person, talk to this person, but don't go into their house. Like it's very complex. Yeah. Um, so it's extremely hard for our games to replicate exactly what it is that you've seen. Um, or even to see everything in a playthrough that you will have seen in the trailer. It's extremely broad and a big play area and a, a lot of traversal time to see everything. Um, so it's not something that I worry about. And I would say to people, don't don't worry too much about that. Just make sure you're putting your best stuff in there whatever that is yeah. you know the best bits yeah i think it's context as well i think everyone in a in like a story based game i think everyone like dark souls is the is the example i'm thinking of first play through a dark souls you meet a character you look at them you're like oh yeah they're weird like everyone else shrug then something happens later in the game so then on your next playthrough you meet them for the first time and instead of being like all right shrug you're like you bastard which makes me think like if you were just if like you know baby paul back in whatever year when i watched the trailer for dark souls that character was probably in it and i probably looked at them and went oh yeah that's someone you know what i mean i didn't yeah. have like I mean, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't in any way like spoil anything that happened like obviously you know you don't want to like throw in like any twists or anything in, in the game but still there's there's a lot of lee a lot more leeway i think than developers realize because the audience don't know the script that's, totally. that's kind of what you're at. and you'll be really lucky to have someone out there who really wants to go in blind and has just put the release date for your game in their calendar is not looking at anything you're you're putting out like that's a tremendous thing but you don't have yeah. to worry about that that person that person is self-selecting out they're not going to look so you can tell everyone else yeah you can you can show the things for the people who who just can't wait and want to follow your stuff but then it goes back to as, as i say you know you always have to you always have to assume that people seeing the stuff you put out are seeing it for the very first time yeah. because there's such there's such a huge like i think people really underestimate like 
how big the pool of people is that they're talking to. And oh, even yeah. if you even if you go back to the same platform over and over again, like chances are you're you're not gonna be hitting many of the same people, um, depending on all sorts of factors. But yeah. Yeah, there's there's a new player joining Steam every day. Well, I mean thousands. People never have heard of you before. I'm always amazed by that because we've been going for so long. <laughs> we've yeah. been going for like yeah. 10 years and we still get, we get new signups to Fallen London hundreds every day. There's more than a million accounts in Fallen London registered and it just keeps going and going. Like people will discover your stuff every day. So yeah, yeah you have to remember, make that assumption. We were, a while ago we were having a discussion about why GTA 5 like how it manages to stay like so high in the charts it's, and I just said like well you know boys turn 14 every day <laughs> you know, that's, that's literally the sentence that came to my head yep <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and it's it's such a great point I think but there's also like there's so many people who maybe like thinking about my kind of video game journey, if you like, there was definitely a point where, I mean, it was a big part of it was probably that like 2013 sort of Steam era where you start realizing that there are these like smaller, weirder kind of things that are a little bit different to like the larger games that you're playing. And I think all the time, and we see it all the time as well, you know, with, um, you know, with uh, smaller, um, smaller games relatively that appear on like E3 and stuff and have a really good reaction. Yeah. There is like there's a huge amount of people who really they they really like playing indie games. They just don't know that they're there. <laughs> they don't yeah. know they exist. And that's I guess that's the challenge of of um indie marketing though, isn't it? It's just reaching as many of those people as possible. Yeah. And it's I mean coming back to the first position we we came here with and it's all of the efforts that you make are nothing without a compelling, honest, accurate store page that really explains the genre and the proposition, the verbs, what is the player going to do, shows it all with as much action as possible and just gives them no reason to, if it's if that's their genre, gives them no reason to skip it. Yeah, because they've got to, it's got to be, it's got to be the one. It's got to be the one that's like, oh yeah, this is, this is the one that's that's gonna take me back to my childhood and make me feel better about everything. <laughs> now, <laughs> too real, too uh, real for podcasts. Sorry, <laughs> too real. That so was a lockdown you, thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, um, because you looked at so many different store pages, Anna. Um, is there any other like levers that you think people often forget to pull? I'm just looking at my like capsule image and text aside. Yeah, so I. Uh, outside of my work at Fell Better, I put together reports for people based on their Steam page just to, as a kind of a health check. Um, and I'm just looking at the format I use. I look at the capsule art before I look at the page and I make a guess about what I'm getting and then I check that against the page. So a good thing for people to do is to show their capsule art to people who have not got a clue uh, what the game's about and, say, and ask them those questions like, what do you think you would be doing in this game? What kind of genre is it? Can you tell? Um, cause that is so, and so important. Um, remembering to add tags with your developer account because developer accounts have more weight than audience accounts. Um, trailers as a whole, there's a whole separate podcast to be done about trailers, but, um, making sure they're not very long, <laughs> please. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's on the list. Don't worry. <laughs> the <laughs> thumbnail thing is the first three thumbnails make a gift that's shown elsewhere. So watch out for that. Um, 
Steam recently updated the way that they handle updates, like page announcements, to give you about 12 different types of page announcement. And you have to have an image for this, that, and the other now. And it's much, much, much more complicated than it used to be. But um, using them to convey personality is really important. Um, Not falling down a rabbit hole with your long description, being careful not to make it too long, and to use GIFs and to use bullet points um, to really hammer home the verbs. and then to give it flavor and feeling of the game, but making it clear first. And then making sure the whole page agrees with itself. So like making sure all your checkboxes are up to date, like the, the, the ongoing thing, the job of the Steam page is to look back at it always. Like, did you win an award? Did you get nominated for something? Did you, you know, are you going to an event? Like if it's not on your Steam page, it doesn't exist to these people who only really find out their game information via Steam. Um, so make sure to use every bit of the bird uh, to get everything across and to seem like an active concern. Like you could be in development for a long time. You could be in early access or whatever. You could go six months between updates. Um, but it's definitely possible to say something in between to keep the page looking like it's um, a game that you still care about. Because uh, a big part of what people want who really want to support indie games particularly is that personal connection. Yeah. I guess I guess that goes all into building trust. No, also, like, yes, yeah, the awards, reviews from press, you can embed maybe yeah. trying to get your user reviews up. Yeah, user reviews. Like, I, I personally don't, I mean, I ask for user reviews occasionally. We do a, an annual event called Love Indies where we... Um, it's basically about raising up indie game creators. So indie game studios across the world get involved and they all like rate and review each other's games and encourage people to go back through their steam library and to look at the games. Cause a lot of people, even if they like a game, won't have bothered to leave a review. Like they just don't think yeah. of it sometimes. So we, we have like um, love indies review hour in the middle of the event where we encourage everyone to just take, maybe it only be half an hour these days. I don't know. Some people have a lot more time on their hands in lockdown. Some people have a lot less. So whatever they can manage, I guess. Um, and just to go through literally and just give a thumbs up and a few words if, you know, if, if they felt positive. It's not about asking for positive reviews um, or just to leave a review on everything that's tagged Indie in their library um, because that makes a huge, huge difference. Uh the, but the main thing is with reviews, I feel that if you have, if you are sitting in like mixed, um, to have something on the page that addresses it, whether you're going in and responding to reviews that are factually incorrect, um, or encouraging people to return if they've said they would change their review if, if things changed, or having an update on the page, which is like, here's an upcoming patch. We've heard X, Y, and Z from you. Here's, you know, A, B, and C that we're doing in response. Um, just to seem active, alive, and connected to the game. Um, but yeah, like we said, the reviews on Steam is not a problem that is going to be miraculously fixed because people um, are shits. Yeah. <laughs> Most people yeah, are wonderful, but people can be shits. <laughs> and I guess especially when you're in, in mixed review territory, I guess it's worth putting a lot of time and effort into getting that up so your little review line changes the color to blue because i think psychologically that makes a big difference if somebody sees your page for the first time yeah definitely i think i think it's all part of the process as um as hannah said about like making the page feel alive and like tying that back into trust i was i was also interested because um 
way back in the heady days of the beginning of this podcast, I remember you were talking about like for a lot of Steam users, Steam is is like a platform unto itself. It is like a social platform and everything. So mm. like how do you how do you think for like for an old timer like me, like how how would you describe that like relationship when it comes to the actual Steam page itself? Like do you see do you see a Steam page as being like an extension of a community hub or do you see it as a hub in itself or maybe like do you see it as someone's like personal like Facebook or Twitter or something like how how do you approach that aspect of it chunks of it behave that way but I think the page itself is like it's your book jacket and it's your display window. That's kind of what it is. But chunks of what you do to keep that looking up to date and important get broken off and sent all over Steam and behave in a way as part of that social ecosystem, like the news um, feed now, including uh, games that you follow or games that other people that you are friends with have played. Um, I'm fairly sure I'm right on that. I'm fairly sure that's correct. Um, So you have to kind of think of it as something that is alive and that has a life outside of just existing as a static page that people come to when they're ready to buy. Mm. Yeah. And I guess if it's like, if, if you, if you are an indie dev who, and you can inject some of your personality into the page as well as, as well as everything else, like, uh, you know, that, I guess that also translates to things like how you write the steam updates and how you interact with people on the, on the page and everything. Yeah. And, you know, it, then you get into really gnarly communications territory of like the way you talk to people is a reflection of the values that you have and the kinds of people who you want to play your game. Do you want them to have congruent values with yours? Um, do you want them to, you know, uh, we, we have a little trouble on Steam sometimes because the very broad kind of Steam gaming community is sometimes not quite so socially aware as we are. And we're not trying our best to court those people and take their money as well because we don't want people to have a bad experience with our games. But there were threads on Steam when we launched Sunless Skies into early access that were like, um, why are the first three characters I've encountered black and why are they in positions of authority? That's historically inaccurate. Like, yeah, and the flying space trains are super accurate. Um, So you have to kind of... (laughs) This is the this is like the commitment that you are making really on a on a really deep level and the kind of the the interchange that you're having with this community is sometimes you're not going to agree with them. Um, then you set yourself up for community challenges and not just PR and marketing challenges. Um, but you, you know, if you think upfront, like yes, our values are this; they are enacted in the game in this way. We would talk about the game in this way, which is native to us and our personality. Um, and if you do want to go in and be like, what's up nerds and, you know, be really energetic, then, then expect people who, who enjoy that kind of energy to, to pick up the game. Um, and that's what you want. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we can, we accept a certain amount of, uh, abuse <laughs> for the more kind of socially progressive stuff that we do. Um, but in a lot, in a lot of cases, people don't notice that we have trans characters in our game. Like they they mm. sit they they come across them and they don't notice that there's one line or or you know that the way their story is presented is is like a like a subtle 
telling of a trans experience. That's one of the characters in Sunless Skies is kind of a, her story is about transition, but it is also that she used to be like a star and she became a person. Um, so then, you know, lots of trans players contact us and tell us like that was really touching and moving for, um, for me. It resonates with my story of transition. Huge amounts of the Steam audience would never notice. Um, mm. You know, maybe maybe we're just kind of giving them a little taste of something that might change their mind on something in future. But one of our things is not to completely hit people over the head with it because it does mm. cause tremendous amounts of upset and heartache for us in trying to deal with them as well we just want to be able to do our jobs and make games that that our core audience will love so i'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's something i think as an industry we we sort of dance around a lot but there is definitely that element that you just you know i think as as any developer you need to be aware of and especially if you're on a small team or a solo dev like it is something that probably sooner or later even like a lot of time even if it's not intentional you know, like you, you just put a character in that maybe to you, it's like, well, this, this is a person, this is how I imagined them. And they don't need any further justification for why they exist in that way. Whereas there's obviously, you know, in video games as a whole, there's this idea that like certain, certain humans need extra justification than other, than other humans. I mean, that's just one element of it, obviously, but I think it's, I think it is an important aspect to be aware of when you go into these spaces. Absolutely. As a solo dev particularly, you know, if you have firm personal beliefs and you want to put them out there in your page, it's really important to prepare yourself for what Johnny General video game player might want to, if any certain amount of attention comes your way, you will get some kickback depending on what it is that you've you've put in or said. And it is always emotionally really, really difficult. Um any kind of attention of it over a certain, like when it ticks over a certain level and you start getting people who would not otherwise have cared finding out about your stuff, then yeah, it's, that's like my, the least, my least favorite part of my job. Um, I love, you know, making things found, but I don't care for personal attacks and death threats and and on the other end people asking for pictures of my feet like I can't win so (laughs) (laughs) I just try like we try and get by and we do find generally far better we do find because we have a very long-standing and very supportive community who get it um and we just are trying to add to those numbers that's kind of our growth yeah absolutely I think it you know it it ties into to knowing like you said, like putting putting across like so much of yourself in the game, like knowing what message you're trying to put across and like what your what your values are. And then if as you said, like if people don't share that, then you know, make it easy for them to not engage, I guess. But yeah. It's it's tough because, you know, a lot of the time they'll they'll just make stuff up. Um but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure people listening this far into the podcast will be aware of uh will be aware of these things. Um, okay, we need to find a more positive note. To end on. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I feel like I feel like we were doing really well at like coming to a kind of conclusion, and now and, and you were like, I'm really glad you brought it up, and you're absolutely right to. It is an important thing. <laughs> it is an important thing, but it is like it is it is sad, and it's like it's not a it's not a great part of being <laughs> of being a dev. But I think 
What do you think, Thomas? What else do we need to talk about for for Steam pages? We've been through so much. We've we really haven't. Lot, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. haven't talked about broadcasting. Oh my that god, we haven't talked about streaming. Yeah, that's quite fun. Because that makes that makes people happy. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves sitting on a screen getting <laughs> live action abuse from people. <laughs> right. Broadcast on Steam is a funny one, right? Because there is no um, internal ecosystem of people who only stream within Steam, like people have a Twitch channel. There is, people don't, Is I don't know. They set it up, they made it, they, they've left it now to see what will happen with it. And what has happened is, there is no incentive for people to be a stream a streamer who only streams on Steam. But devs can definitely use it in a way that is really useful and helpful. And um, a really nice example is something that we did just this weekend, a couple of weekends ago, which was a um, digital event within Steam called Ludo Narracon, so focused on narrative games that's set up by the um, publisher Fellow Traveller. So we ran a a stream for like three days on our um, page that was a mixture of us playing the game, talking about how we wrote it um, and showing a future update. And then we looped it. So this whole event was like 40 different games. Each page had a bespoke stream of developer content behind the scenes stuff. Um, And it's, I'm fairly sure it's going to be one of the most successful promotional things we've done uh, all year. Um, because people want to hear that information. They want, and it was of course accompanied by a sale. So getting in there on a sale of like, where there are only about 60 odd titles available in that sale event is brilliant. Um, so yeah, that was one really nice application of broadcasting that is, it's a lot of work, but, um, it Mm. absolutely pays off. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, you, you brought up something else so important there as well, which is like the, the Steam event things. But we, yeah. we're totally going to totally gonna get to that. <laughs> we'll talk about the Steam streaming first. Like working with like small developers and things, usually like kind of, because obviously they have very limited time. Um, a lot of the time, like, you know, even even if they are like willing to do the to do the stream themselves, it's like the launch day isn't ideal, obviously. Oh but god, that's awful. No. <laughs> yeah, so painful exactly. to try. Yeah. But so we, we usually kind of come to the compromise of like on launch day, you have this like longer looping video, which is maybe like gameplay with commentary, or maybe you do like you do one which is live and then you like you loop that longer video and you you try and keep that going while obviously Steam is directing traffic towards towards the page. And we've found that like it feels like it is a kind of extra layer of uh almost like building that kind of trust and stuff when you have the uh the stream going. And also being if you can get high enough like on in terms of view count we've found that you can quite easily get onto like the front page of steam yeah. on your on your launch day just because of like the kind of the the traffic that steam is sending there anyway um so that's been our approach so far as a yeah as, as a kind of yeah, compromise the, of you know i don't think like so far like whenever somebody can somehow pull it off manage to have a looping video or live stream we always highly recommend because it's just a chance of being up in this top streaming charts can get you a good amount of extra traffic. Mm. It's and I guess it also adds, um, oh sorry, it also acts like a, a nice layer to your trailer, which is usually 
I guess quite Polish cut in short versus on the stream seeing just pure gameplay where you actually see how the game looks like if you just play it. Yeah, and people will sit and watch it without going in the chat, without, you know, they just want to get a, a real feeling for it. If they're on the fence, that could be the thing that tips them over. Um, we've done it before where we got a a streamer that we knew from another platform to create, to do something on their own platform that we then took over and looped. Mm. Um, so it was like a double hit for their audience and for our audience. Uh, that worked quite well. Um, but yes, broadcast is something that, yeah, is so effort heavy that you have to kind of deploy it, like literally launch day, as you say. Mm. Um, like we had a period of about four hours on the day of, that we launched Sunless Skies where we just stacked everything up. It was a really, really tight focus period where all our kind of money and effort went. Um, and it went, you know, it worked out really well for Sunless Skies. Uh, but Steam has changed a huge amount in the 18 months since we launched it. So. We'll probably do something different next time. <laughs> 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 the old tap dancing on quicksand game. Yeah. That, that's... You guys have it easy. You're launching stuff all the time. I only launch a game once every three years. What am I supposed to do next time? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, so Steam, Steam streaming, I, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the the basic nuts and bolts of that. But uh, I do really want to, I'm becoming aware of the time and I really want to talk about, because I think I'm so interested in, especially the Ludo Naricon thing and other Steam events that are doing that are like a little bit more focused, a little bit more curated, like it's a bit more hands-on. Uh, there's more of a, it feels like there's more of a point to it. Um, and like you say, just just limiting the number of titles makes such a huge difference, like to those titles, whether it's like pre or post launch with like wishlist or sales or anything. Like we've seen some we've seen some crazy numbers coming from this stuff. Like, do you think like after the success of this during this crazy hell year <laughs> of twenty twenty, <laughs> like do you do you think this might be talking about the future of Steam? Like, do you think that might be something that Steam start doing a bit more of, or do you think it's something that will be too much effort for them in the long run? Or? I think a lot of the time it is a publisher or a developer that are doing uh, the heavy lifting on like curating it and like all the, the hands-on stuff. I think that's my impression. Um, this, the, um, and certainly in, in, in the case of like thematic ones like Ludo Naricon, the Steam um, Spring, what was it called? spring seasonal event or whatever, I think is more so led by them. So if they consider it okay to do like seasonal ones and or annual ones, uh, ones tied to, tied into the game awards, tied into packs, tied into all these, these events that may never be physical again, who knows? Um, mm. then leaving the curation of the themed ones in the hands of bigger, um, publishers or, or indie developers is actually not a bad strategy for them. Like they get the most, most of the work done for them. Um, and I think it does great business. Definitely. Like the Luden Aricon was the second year we did it. And this year, the 50% more people looked at the page during the weekend than last year's event. So it's definitely on the up. Um, and that could be because of the increased steam users due to the lockdown, etc. We'll have to see for next year, but also Steam's membership is going up every year. So, um. yeah, and I'm just looking at Ludo Narakan stats that Chris right, like found a fellow traveler was tweeting out. Like it's one says, 
on average 900 extra wish lists per, per event day for every unreleased game. So that's obviously quite a quite a huge bump in wish lists. Yeah. And wish lists are becoming an even more like time is against us, I think, but wish lists are becoming even more important. I think the more that developers focus on wish lists, um, I did a bit of quick data gathering uh, and spoke to some developers who were like, yeah, well, our position last year was this, and this is how many wish lists we have. And now our position is the same, but we have twice as many wish lists. So now the like in, this is in the chart of um, upcoming games by wishlist number. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of wishlist is becoming even more of a of a pro- like a prominent and important internal Steam marketing tool. Um, so events like Ludonaricon boosting that to the tune of like a thousand a day is extremely, extremely important stuff. You can't get that from a physical event. You can't physically talk to a thousand people who would then all definitely go and wishlist, but they will do it if they're just sitting on Steam looking around for stuff to buy. For sure. I mean, we, we've been talking about just like the the power of being supported by a platform is always just huge. And I think like, I think for us, it's like, it's quite an exciting time that this is, that this is something that seems to be like a new avenue for, especially for the type of games that we work on as well, that fit well into this model. And I think probably, you know, the type of games that people who would listen to something like this would work on as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's something I'm I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of it, and I hope that I hope that it happens more. So that's yeah, my definitely. positive. That's my positive thought about that is positive. <laughs> the future. We are hopeful. We're hopeful. People people give Steam and give Valve a lot of grief and give Steam a lot of flack, but like they're a big company they keep developing it it's the best storefront for pc games at the moment in terms of like the hands-on tools that you can have as a much smaller creator and the chance that you have as a much smaller creator um yes they change the algorithm and it sometimes it messes with your sales and yes it is really hard to get attention there but like it is much better than not having it even now it's much better than not having it and at the end of the day, if we weren't optimists, we wouldn't be working in indie games. <laughs> or in marketing. <laughs> in mar- marketing indie games. Imagine waking up every morning and doing that. Oh Jesus. my God. Uh, <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a nice moment to end on. I want to thank you so much, Anna, for joining us. It's been it's been so real. It's been so really? great. It's been so great talking <laughs> talking to you about this stuff. And anyone who's made it this far through the through the podcast, bless your little hearts. Um, I hope you've enjoyed whatever you've been doing in the background, baking bread or whatever. And uh, do follow do follow Hannah on on Twitter for updates about a Steam page support things that she's doing. What's your at again? Sorry, Hannah, remind me. It's uh, it's Hannah Flynn. One word. It's, it's Hannah Flynn. At it's Hannah Flint, yeah. Um, I definitely encourage it. If you're not already, you're probably already following it. If you listen to this, let's be honest. Hi, mum. Um, Thomas, do you have any final thoughts for today? Video games. I think that's about it. Amen. (laughs) Video games. 
Yeah, thanks for listening. We still don't have a proper outro. I feel like the intro is getting getting like more polished, and the outro is getting worse every time. <laughs> yes, but at, at, at this point, at this point, it's a feature, not a bug. So at some point, Thomas will stop recording on. Yeah, I think, I think it's now, and that will be the end. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.